Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar and a Viking in the sack, Noelle LaCroix. And I'm story expert and retired librarian, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we are here today to talk about The Yoko Factor and Primeval, the 20th and 21st episodes of season four. The Yoko Factor aired on May 9th, 2000 and was written by Doug Petrie and directed by David Grossman. Primeval aired on May 16th, 2000 and was written by David Fury and directed by James A. Cotner. Uh, BT dubs, guys. In the last episode, we said we were just doing the Yoko Factor this week, but we decided to do both of them together because they really are one story. Also, it's our podcast. It's our prerogative to change our minds at any time for no reason. Well, let me just also put it out there that, like, I'm the one who set all this stuff up, right? And then Noelle, like, you know, messages me and she's like, you know, these are really one story. And I'm like, no, it's just it's two stories with a stupid ass cliffhanger. No, you're right. It's one story. Well, and we can. <laughs> talk about that after we you know we'll we'll do our we'll do our little our little intro wrap and then we can get into like what the hell is going on with the story you guys <laughs> because... no we 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 totes totes well but anyway for those of you who are not prepared for us to speak about both episodes hopefully that's okay because you've already watched all of buffy because if you haven't watched all of buffy then listening to still pretty is going to be a spoilerific experience anyway and you're obviously someone who doesn't care about that stuff so welcome um anyway don't worry about it. We are a fully spoiled Buffy podcast. So if you are sensitive to spoilers, now's the time to put us on pause and watch the rest of Buffy. If you've watched all of Buffy, then you're fine talking about both episodes. So we're all good. You know, for someone who's got Watcher on his resume, you might want to cast an eye to the front door every now and again. All right, let's go on patrol. In the Yoko Factor, we open with Commanding Officer Douchebag McGee talking to a shadowy figure on a television screen, telling him that they'll keep an eye on Riley and bring him back into the fold. Meanwhile, Spike and Adam are figuring out how to get the best of Buffy in the big fight, and the two of them put their heads together and come up with a plan. You want her evening the odds in a fight? You don't want to slay a red smoking at her. Take them away from her. There's a plan. Xander brings Riley some of his clothes to fill out Riley's limited wardrobe, and Xander lets the nature of Angel's curse slip. Riley sinks into a very unattractive petulance about it, especially because Buffy just went to Los Angeles to check in on things after Faith surfaced there and caused a ruckus. Meanwhile, Spike shows up at Giles's looking to get information for Buffy, and he plants some seeds of insecurity in everyone's favorite watcher. Besides, she barely listened to you when you were in charge. I've seen the way she treats you. I guess. How's that? Very much like a retired librarian. Willow and Tara are planning for next year's classes and living arrangements, and while Tara presumed that Willow and Buffy would be roomies again, Willow's not sure. At the dorm, Riley shows up to find out what happened with Angel, but Buffy avoids the topic. At Spike's crypt, Xander and Anya deliver a military outfit for Spike's little excursion, and Spike works his triangulating magic on Xander, telling Xander that he overheard Willow and Buffy saying Xander should join the military, where he could be useful. Can you believe this? Like I'm some sort of useless lunk. It happens that I'm good at a lot of things. I help out with all kinds of stuff. I have skills and stratagems. I'm very, help me out. He's a Viking in the sack. Forrest and Buffy meet up at the cave entrance to the initiative, both of them intent on going in. They bicker until Adam shows up, at which point he skewers Forrest and then shoots Buffy with Walsh's lightning gun. 
Buffy runs away, but trips and falls getting knocked out on a rock, and Adam doesn't walk the five yards to kill her because... busy monster stuff. That night, Spike shows up at Giles's and delivers discs to Willow. While Willow works, Spike slides in some comments designed to make Willow insecure. Your mate said you weren't playing with computers so much. Into the new thing. What new thing? You know, you two. The whole wicker thing. They, they were talking about that? At the initiative, the containment cells are full and one of the initiative teams is under attack. Riley hears about it on the walkie-talkie he rigged to keep track of the initiative's activities, and when he goes to rescue the team, he finds a big, broody angel with his deep, dark eyes and disapproving Simeon Ridge. And as the two of them circle each other like, well, men, we get this. Don't push me, boy. Riley and Angel fight, and then Angel throws Riley onto a pile of construction materials, and Batman's away. Riley follows him to Buffy's and takes a stand, refusing to leave as long as Angel is there. So Buffy and Angel go out into the hall and make peace. But before leaving, Angel tells Buffy one last thing about Riley. I don't like him. Spike shows up at Adam's lair, celebrating his success at how easy it was to separate the Scoobies, calling his strategy the Yoko Factor. At Buffy's dorm, Buffy and Riley talk, and she tells him that she's got good news and bad news. The good news, she didn't sleep with Angel. The bad news, Forrest is dead. Riley leaves, devastated. Buffy goes over to Giles' house where everyone is angry and Giles is drunk and things escalate from there. Finally, Buffy's had enough. I guess I'm starting to understand why there's no ancient prophecy about a chosen one and her friends. In Primeval, Riley reports to Adam, his autonomy neatly sidestepped by a chip placed in his chest tied to his nervous system, courtesy of Mommy Maggie Walsh. Adam is very excited about having a new bro to hang with, and Riley is clearly disturbed by this turn of events, but can't really do anything about it because he's under Adam's complete control. Spike shows up, proud of himself and demanding his chipperectomy, but when Adam spots a flaw in his plan, Spike goes back out to make sure Willow gets the information on the discs to Buffy. Adam brings Riley to a secret lab where a zombie Maggie Walsh works away. Proudly, Adam watches as his brand new Frankenforest wakes up. God. God has nothing to do with it. Meanwhile, Giles is hungover. Willow and Tara are awkward. And Xander is depressed, staying in bed all day. Buffy goes to Adam's lair by herself and finds it deserted, but bumps into Spike, who plays his hand a little too hard and tips Buffy off to his play. She calls a meeting on campus and tells the others that they fought because Spike filled their heads to break them up. And now everything's... Well, not fine, exactly, but they can pretend it's okay long enough to figure out Adam's plan. Pit the demons in the initiative against the humans, get a body count, and then start sewing parts together to build his Franken-army to... take over the world? I guess? Meanwhile, Buffy, Xander, Willow, and Giles try to figure out how they can extract Adam's power source. To everyone's surprise, Xander hits on the answer. So, no problem. All we need is combo Buffy. Her with Slayer strength, Giles's multilingual know-how, and Willow's witchy power. They break into the initiative through Lowell House, and as they scale down the elevator shaft, Buffy and Willow make up, then pull in Xander and Giles for a group hug. Rebonded, they bust into the initiative and are promptly caught. From Adam's central command, he and Spike watch on the monitors that Buffy is there with her friends. Adam orders Frankenforest to take off Spike's head, but Spike has way too much delight armor. I'll explain that later. And he gets away. 
In the compound, Buffy tries to explain to Commanding Officer Douchebag McGee what's going on. This is not your business. It's mine. You, the Initiative, the boys at the Pentagon, you're all in way over your heads. Messing with primeval forces you have absolutely no comprehension of. And you do. I'm the Slayer. You're playing on my turf. Adam lets the demons loose. And in the confusion, Buffy and the Scooby gang get away and get to work. Giles, Xander, and Willow set up the spell while Buffy goes to look for Adam. She finds the secret lab and finds Riley there, but he can't talk to her. Adam commands Frankenforest to kill Buffy while zombie Maggie comes at her with a bone saw. Buffy fights and a glass breaks near Riley. He reaches for the shards, cuts the chip out of his central nervous system without, you know, <laughs> killing himself, and joins in the fight, taking on Frankenforest so that Buffy can go after Adam. She starts to fight him and is losing, but then the spell takes over and Willow, Xander, and Giles are all part of her and her eyes glow red and she starts talking in the royal we. You can't last much longer. We can. We are forever. Interesting. Riley beats Frankenforest up with a flammable canister, then dies for cover as it explodes. In Adam's control center, the royal Buffy can stop bullets, turn missiles into doves, and reach into Adam's guts to pull out his uranium core and dissolve it in light. But once she does this, she falls into Riley's arms, exhausted. Xander, Giles, and Willow regain individual consciousness, and a demon attacks. Spike kills it, pretending to be on their side. But even though they know what he's done, they don't kill him because... Delight Armor. Buffy takes out the initiative, and in voiceover, the shady government agency explains that the whole program is going to be shut down and we shall never speak of it again. Good call. All right, Noelle, so here we are with essentially the finale of season four. I mean, I know we have Restless. We'll talk about that next week. Right. But as far as the action, <laughs> as far as the, we'll get to that next week. But as far as like the antagonism, the main big bad of this season, we're actually dispatching with him, with Adam and with Maggie Walsh and with the initiative um, by episode 21. So we've got these two episodes here. And briefly, let's go into why you're right and this is one story um <laughs> the reason why I, I originally looked at it and i thought okay so we have this thing where it's about spike dividing them up and then we have this you know bullshit cliffhanger at the end where we're like oh no riley's under adam's control <gasps> to be continued right. you know? um and just because something says to be continued does not mean that it's necessarily part of the same story but then you brought that up and i was like okay and i thought about it for about three seconds and i was like okay well the story isn't really about breaking them up it's about breaking them up and then them coming back together. Like that is the whole story arc for these two episodes. So I think you were right. That is one story. Um, so covering them together, I think, is a good thing. Plus the fact that you can always kind of tell in a two-parter um, when most of the story is weighted toward one episode for or the sure. other, and then the other just has a lot of filler in it, like, I don't know, Angel coming to town, that kind of <laughs> shit, right? Um, which has absolutely no place in this current narrative. It's not what we're doing, but we sure will spend a lot of time on it. And I'm actually... I'm actually happy about that because that's probably <laughs> one of my favorite parts of, of both of these episodes. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but anyway, one of the things that I found interesting about um, what I find interesting about Buffy, um, what I find interesting about these stories in general, um, is that it is always about power. 
right? We have this thing from Adam, you have no power, Mm -hmm. not yet. Once you forget your old life and embrace your destiny as I have, you'll know power you've never dreamed of. And I think you're going to like it, (laughs) right? Um, So we have this human fascination with power and these stories about good and evil, when you really dig down, are almost always about the pursuit of power and what we will do to each other in order to obtain Mm -hmm. it. Um, And when I started thinking about that, I was like, oh, Jesus, you know, if you really drill it down, all good and evil is about power. Right. Um, And we get to that in Buffy in season five. We get checkpoint when Buffy gives her power speech to the Watchers Council and then takes over. She has the power there. Um, We start out Buffy season seven calling out directly with Buffy saying it's about Mm -hmm. power. You know, Um, so we start right there. Here we have Riley, who has no power to control even himself up against Adam, who is all powerful at this point. Right. Um, And the only way to stop Adam is to pull out the source of his power, which, as I recall, was exactly how we phrased the amulet that Anya had in the wish. Right. You know, destroy the source of her power. Um, So I find all of this really kind of interesting. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the, the theme of power in these episodes and in this season particularly. Well, okay, this season, (laughs) Mm -hmm. season four is such an interesting season to me because it really Mm -hmm. feels all over the place. Like, it feels Mm -hmm. like, I mean, there's just so much going on and we get so much good in season four and so many things that I absolutely love and then so many things that I'm like, why Mm -hmm. is this even here? Um, like Adam until Mm -hmm. these episodes Mm -hmm. and then I'm kind of like yeah all right like I'm sort of you know on board with the whole Adam especially the Adam Spike stuff yeah could have Mm -hmm. been it feels like it could have been really good especially in this you know this power narrative because of course Spike and Adam are interested in power over whereas Buffy is interested in power with which of course is what right ultimately you know, saves the day. I mean, the power of Mm -hmm. friendship and being yourself, like every, (laughs) like every heroic (laughs) narrative that I tend to love so much is really about, you know, Mm -hmm. tapping into your own unique power. And then the the community Mm -hmm. of friends that your own personal autonomy, like there's power over yourself, and then there's power over others. And then of course, with great power comes great responsibility, which is a whole other thing that power (laughs) used to serve others is a good power. Right. And power used to harm and all of that is a bad power. But when you look at most villains, you know, when you get a good villain, mm-hmm. like a villain that actually makes some sense, like a, a bad, you know, who's, who's like, well, I want all this power so that I can make the world a better place because the world is right. fucked, right? I'm just trying you know, to protect you. Those yeah. villains. Those are the best ones. Exactly. I mean, they're, they're, they're flawed, yeah. right? But they're still trying to make the world the way that they think it should right. be. But right? it's still power over um, yeah. instead of power with. It's still power over. And that's yeah. the difference, right? Yeah. yeah no, it's it's it's. It's interesting. Like once you start thinking about that nature of good and evil and what makes good and evil. And then the fact that honestly, the perspective from which the story is being told defines the good and evil of that particular narrative. Oh, always. Yeah. It's real interesting. Gets real. Well, and I love that you just said the nature of good and evil, because, of course, in this pair of episodes, we really get Adam's cave, which is part of nature, which we enter through the forest, which is sort of part of nature, but then is also part of the initiative, which is like the most 
techie technology place, I think, that we've seen on the show right. so far. And there's this this push-pull of, like, different... I don't know. There's... There's a there's a more interesting story, I think, underneath this story that we didn't quite get to because we yeah. only I feel like they only really hit their stride with the the Adam stuff in these last couple of episodes. And then it's over. Right. right. And they hit their. Yeah. Well, because they had him on a bench. He was just there being all weird. And it's so weird. The the OK, it's such a weird choice. I mean, and maybe you can speak more to this in terms of antagonists and what makes a good antagonist but he's on he's like literally on the table for the first mm-hmm. half of the season and then right. he's like born yesterday but still somehow like this all seeing all knowing kind of god right. he's he this, sees like, through Jonathan he's, it's interesting because he's this right? godlike yeah. character or he mm-hmm. I don't know. He behaves as such. But then, of course, Forrest tells us God has nothing to do with it. But then mm-hmm. Buffy and her friends, like, literally become almost, I'm tempted to say, like, capital G goddess or goddex. Like, they, yeah. it's super, mm-hmm. it's super, like, mind versus spirit or, or I don't know. Well, and what is God? I mean, is God about power? God is about, I mean, you know, do you want that... my opinion or do you want, like... Well, no, but I mean, like, like you know, we're going to get into this next season when we talk about Glory being a god and what is a god and how Glory do you define so that? I mean, Oh, my God. Oh, my <laughs> like... God. I love Glory, too. Lots of people, lots of people don't like Glory. What? I'm going to annoy them next what? season. What? Oh, yeah. my God. I'm going to bug them so no, much. And you know Just what? skip season you know five. She's yeah, I'm... my fave. I, I love Glory. Honestly, Glory is one of my favorites. But I'm going to be interested in thinking about those perspectives that that get annoyed with her. Because I think that the kinds of things that you like and the kinds of things that you don't, the things that you respond to and the things that you don't, um, can be really, really interesting to kind of like go at from almost a Rorschach test kind of, um, kind of perspective. Like, what is it about Glory that speaks so well to me? And why do I hate Muppets? These are all things I'll be working at with my therapist. But anyway, <laughs> that's getting a little ahead. But, you know, we actually define Glory in season five as a god. But we do have these God-esque kind of um, power dynamics, right? If God is all powerful, right? You know, can he if make that's a rock what defines so big a God, he himself can't lift it. He himself can't lift it, right? <laughs> I kind of love the person who thought that up because that person was just like, "I'd like to fuck with well, you a little bit." So let me just throw this. I love you. that's all those. I mean, that's all the rebel kids in yeah. Catholic school who are like. Wait oh, a second. Yeah. Where did Mrs. Kane come from? You know, like they're like, right. hold on. I love it. Hang on a I second. Love, yeah, no, I those love are it. yeah, quite. I mean, they are interesting. Critique, interesting uh, questions. Be, be critical of the that, stories yeah. with which you engage. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. Thinking critically as exactly huge part of that. Um, but like when when we're looking at what Adam is and like what is it that defines being godlike like here we have um, Buffy as as the royal Buffy right with all of them as part of her her eyes are glowing red she has this incredible power she can stop bullets in midair um, which leads me to the question like why don't they do this every time they have to fight somebody um, but that's a question for well isn't you know, that a question day. for restless like aren't they just like I Isn't guess that the so, idea there's that they're just, they're just toast after? Like, why do we even... Right, but if you only have to do it once a year. <laughs> I mean, the big fight only happens in May. Oh, my God. 
right? You know, it's like Hogwarts. It's like Christmas. You spend the rest of the year getting ready. Exactly. It tracks immediately along the course of the school year. It's so helpful. It does. It does. And the television season, absolutely, it does. Um, So I don't know. Like I, I, I find, I find it kind of interesting. Like it depends upon what your definition of first of all God as the the God that people believe in through some kind of religious you know thought or a theological thought or the you know the God like the God S the God X right that is all of these people together that is all of that power you know um, and that what is it that defines you know, somebody being a god or not. And I think I've I've gotten off track. And I think maybe if you're looking for theology in Buffy, you should go to the prophecy guys. Um, yeah, I wasn't <laughs> but it's just kind of an interesting I wasn't question. thinking so much I guess I wasn't thinking so much about theology as this this the way the show seems to have set up these two power dynamics. Right. And mm-hmm. how it I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with Adam, Lottie, but like ultimately that's what it is for me. Like he's he is this creation who starts out apparently trying to figure out like what the nature of himself is, which I totally yeah. understand. And like that would be a really compelling story, but somehow mm-hmm. it isn't. And right. Then, <laughs> and then somehow like it's like a switch flips, maybe mm-hmm. even literally, and he's this like like I don't know, shadow God creator sort of I'm going to build the world in my own image because why? And we have this whole Frankenstein thing, right? Which, okay, once again, I have not read Frankenstein. I know about it from cultural context. And if you want to learn about actual Frankenstein, then you want to go to Dr. Paul Moffat at clockworksacademy.com. He teaches these classes. He's amazing. All right. So I I clearly need to take this class. But my understanding about Frankenstein, right? Or like what what to me is compelling about the idea of Frankenstein that I have culturally absorbed, right? Is this, (laughs) is this, this loneliness, the essential loneliness that comes from it doesn't matter how much power he has. He is essentially alone and so Adam I think in in this season we see him having you know like this this ultimate like physical power like he has the power to tear people apart you know and he has the power to, to kill and all of this but he doesn't have what Buffy ha- which I think would be actually would have been a really interesting thing to to kind of compare the power of community that Buffy has right that that Buffy because right. Spike is I've killed two slayers but I can't even get so much as a scratch on Buffy because she's got friends you know <laughs> like <laughs> And it is, it is very much this whole, like, you know, my little pony friendship is magic kind of idea. But it really is, right. you guys. Like, <laughs> sorry, these are the stories I love. Yes. The, we all have, we all have different skills mm-hmm. and abilities and powers. And when we bring them together for the collective, that's when things are awesome. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm, he- I am here for the day being saved by the power of friendship and being yourself yes but it's not yeah you're right about the unbalanced force with adam and you know adam versus buffy and the slayerettes it's not well, Adam. the one thing that he's missing is community right so here we have his goal like we, we have no clarity on exactly like he's gonna he's got all these demons he's got all these humans he's gonna take all these body parts he's gonna sew them all together and make a bunch of franken for us right to what end 
Like, what is the purpose? And here we have, like, Buffy's whole thing is that they have all been separated from each other, but once they unite, they are more powerful than anything. And here we have this guy who has every kind of power except that, right? Except Mm -hmm. true friendship, except community, except a place where he belongs, right? I mean, the right. one of the main like human needs is the need to belong, to be part of a community, right? Um and mm-hmm. so here we have Adam with his human parts, right? That wants to understand himself, oh, that wants that's community. So sad. Right, right, right. <laughs> like and if that was the story that we were telling effectively because we represent the other side of that so wonderfully on Buffy's side, right? With that whole representation of here she is in her community, we break down her community while um Adam is trying to build up his community. And if he wants to steal her community, you know, if it's about I want a willow you know, so I'm going to make a willow. I want a Xander, so I'm going to make a Xander, yeah. right? If he had been doing Whoa. that all along, right? I mean, and if that was what he was trying to do, was to find his community, find where he belongs, and 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 then this final stage of that is I'm going to build from the body parts so that there are people like me, so that people don't look at me with disgust, right? Because that's right. a friend, right? I mean, I don't know. I've seen I've seen that clip of the movie for Frank. I don't know if it's in the book. I don't know if that's a theme. <laughs> Dr. Paul Moffat, correct me. Let me know. Um, <laughs> but I mean, but I mean, that's you know that's what I've kind of seen, um, uh, you right. know, in in those stories, and that's what I find compelling about that idea is that here we have this monster who has all this power, and it's not enough. Because he doesn't have community, right? Um, And so he wants what Buffy has. And he wants to take that from her so that he can have this thing. And that she's trying to stop him from getting his community. And then you would have, first of all, he would be humanized in a way that I think would be really, really interesting for a villain who is, you know, wanting to do really bad things, but for reasons that we can understand. Also, there's a reflection in where the source of Buffy's power against the source of his power, right? And he's trying to get Mm -hmm. that source, but he can't find anybody who will accept him. And if we have a series of people that he's trying to like, you know, go out and have community with or whatever, I mean, if he didn't wake up and instantly kill his mom, it might work better. I understand that Maggie Walsh, you know, was not interested in finishing off the season or the actress or whatever. Um, Bottom line is there's a way to do that, right? Without it necessarily being that. That the, the other, you know, scientist guy was a bad guy and killed Maggie to wake up Adam and then that's how everything went wrong you know something who the hell knows right you find yeah. a way <laughs> who the hell you knows find no one knows a way you know um but i think that this because this season has been kind of all over the place and like figuring out what's going on we have all of these identity stories going on we have Xander's identity stories Giles's identity stories you know Willow's identity stories so many of these identity stories going on I mean, even Oz is an identity story right you know yeah. where does the werewolf end and the yep. human begin um, there's so many different things that you can bring into that to make this final battle so much more personalized you know um, mm-hmm. and, and when you can sympathize you know, with your your bad guy, your villain, your antagonist. Villains and antagonists are not always the same thing. I'll explain that in another. But, but like, just because somebody's a, an antagonist <laughs> that has a goal that's opposing the protagonist does not necessarily make them a villain. Now, in this case, right. Adam is absolutely a villain because he wants to, like, kill people and everything. Um, 
But it's really, really interesting to to see like where this season could have gone, where it could have like hooked into something much more deeply emotional and much more human and much more sad. If all Adam wants is to reclaim the parts of him that are human and it's made impossible by the parts of him that are demon, which is something that he did not choose. That was, right. you know, that was something that was imposed upon yeah. him. That is a really yeah. interesting, I think, question to ask, you know, and having a sympathetic big bad would have been really fun. As it is, everything in this season falls, it's so close and falls just short of being able to kind of like land in that nice space. And that's why it's always a disappointment for me. Why this, why these episodes in particular or why the big bad why the season the the big arc of the season is always a disappointment for me well because there's not really an arc of the season Mm -hmm. not really Mm -hmm. there are a lot of these little stories about identity and community i mean we literally have an episode in the season called who are you exactly right right Mm -hmm. like we literally have these stories about you know like we get something blue yeah. in this season. We get a story about like a ridiculous comedic romp about relationships and how bonkers yeah. they are mm-hmm. in this season that also has hush, mm-hmm. that also has, you know, the excruciating emotional, I don't even know, turmoil yeah. of Willow and Oz and Tara. Like we have all of these, we have all of these little bits and pieces of stories about identity and community and relationship. Mm -hmm. And I don't just mean like romantic or sexual or like partner type relationship, but friend relationships. I mean, we get that beautiful reconciliation in Primeval Mm -hmm. with Buffy and Willow and Xander. And it's a little bit cheesy with Xander being like, Giles, you you got to get down here for this. But it's it is also like really sweet. Like they have this great moment mm-hmm. where they group hug and it's like, yeah, this is these these are my people. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost it's almost but not quite a story about chosen family. Yeah. Versus I don't want to say I don't want to say biological family because obviously the initiative is not that, but right. it's it's almost like a like a forced family dynamic. It is very forced. This mother, this brother thing, right? Brother, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Even Forrest talking to Buffy, you know, saying, you know, the family's, what is it? Like the family's been divided or yeah. something like that. And mm-hmm. it's, it's not, I mean, I talked about this a little bit, uh, I think in Goodbye Iowa mm-hmm. about, are they really? They're not really a family. Like, it's a weird, it's a weird way to position the initiative, but it also is. probably really serves this kind of sort of arc about who your family is and who your who your people are. I don't even know. There are so many missed opportunities in season four, is what I'm saying. But also, it yanks me around in this way that I kind of like. <laughs> I sort of love that season four is like all over the place mm-hmm. i'm like yeah give me some give me some faith buffy swapping bodies give me some you give know give me some well no give faith me some... and buffy swapping bodies is so perfect for this whole season about identity like i you know right. i mean it's wild but i love it i'm here for it like i'm yeah. here for something blue i'm here for like all of this stuff that they've got going on this season i think it's so great where it all falls down and fails is in the antagonist but i guess the thing that makes me so crazy about that 
that is that <laughs> it's is that you like they put it all there. They built everything up. They did everything. And then they just were like, <laughs> nah, you know, we're not going to see it through to the very clear space that it should have gone. Uh, we're just going to have this guy, you know, wander around looking creepy and saying weird shit to people. Like, um, you know, the fact that Adam... Which is, I mean, which is a mood, really. Which is a mood. Oh, it is. It's a thing. But I mean, the fact that Adam is the one that sees through Jonathan's spell is really interesting, you know, for Adam to be the one who sees, you know. Um, I find that really interesting. And that he can, if he had insight you know, I mean, how much more interesting would it have been if his death had been kind of sad? You know, I would have loved that. Yeah, I would have. Lo- I love that. Mm-hmm. Like, make me both sad and and relieved. Right. When the big bad is gone. Give me those like complicated that- feelings. Yes. I like the complicated. Feelings. I like it, too. And I, I like think it, it would have said something more like it would have given while there's all this really interesting, crunchy identity stuff happening in the Buffy side of the story, you know, with with all of these characters and which is happening so, you know, consistently that I cannot believe that that was in any way an accident. Like the idea of you have this perfect opportunity with this one guy who's made up of all these parts trying to figure out his identity and you don't do anything with it. Like, why would you not do anything? Why? You have all of you went shopping, you bought all the ingredients, but you're not baking the cake. Like, why would you do that? Like, so I guess that's what like throws me off about it is that it's not even like, oh, wouldn't it have been neat if they had done this? It's like, oh, they did 95 percent of this and then just decided not to make it good. You know, that. I, I don't understand. I have no idea what happened or during something. the season. Right. Yeah. Or like to, well, to fulfill all that potential. They have all of the potential right there. And had you rewritten a handful of scenes across the season, you would have had such a, a like a crunchy, like psychologically and emotionally like impactful story that at the end would have really said something, you know, about not just like all the stuff that Buffy's going, but like in general, like this need, this need for companionship, this need for community, this this human need to be seen and to be understood and to know who you are. All of that stuff is really interesting. There's some great stuff to talk about there. And yet, instead, right. we we set the table and choose not to make the dinner. I don't understand right. it, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, and my only, like, truly, my only explanation mm-hmm. is that it was, it's what you get when you have a ton of writers. Because, of course, writers are all going to bring right. their own you know, they're all going to bring their own perspective and their own. Do I want to say values? Maybe I do. Yeah. But like, I I know that I have definitely written things where, you know, the assignment was this, <laughs> but I really want to tell. I really want to write about this. Right. So that's what we're going to write. I mean, fuck, I do that on this podcast. So I'm like, I know we're supposed to be talking about. I know we're supposed to be talking about like this weird sex wall or whatever, but I'm going to talk about Maurice Sendak. (laughs) Right. But you made it infinitely more interesting. Let me just say that, you know. (laughs) Well, but I mean, and that's why and I think that that's part of why season four and especially these these 
to yeah. this pair of episodes. It's just, it's, I'm like, was it backwards pants day in the writer's room? Like, what was happening? It's the role Why of the so- showrunner. That's what the showrunner's supposed <laughs> to do. They're supposed to see everything and be like, all right, this is what we're doing, you know? And then, like, give that <laughs> guidance. But it's, it is... I, and I cannot, I cannot believe that that the whole identity side of things that's being told on Buffy's side that absolutely has to be that can't be a coincidence that we tell all of these really, really smart, interesting, crunchy identity stories, and yet don't do anything smart or interesting or crunchy with Adam as identity, especially because he's made up of a bunch of random parts. If anybody's going to be questioning their identity, it's this dude, right? Um, right. So, like all of that stuff. I really, really love, but we just, it just misses the ball. And I think that's part of why season four becomes so disappointing. Season four is often considered to be like, you know, one of the worst seasons of Buffy. Honestly, it's my least favorite season of Buffy. Although there's, but there's stuff that I love within, you know, like there's uh, some of my favorite episodes in the whole run are in season four. I mean, Something Blue is definitely a top fiver for me. I love that episode. (laughs) Right. Um, But but season four is is a really difficult season, I think, because it has it sets everything up and has all that potential. And then it just feels like it, it it's unfinished. You know, it feels like it needs a couple of more drafts, you know, to like figure out exactly where they're going. But it could have been so good. The potential was there. Um, and so I find it to be really disappointing in the end. Yeah. And I'm just I'm mostly just confused. I'm mostly yeah. just like, <laughs> like, uh, you know, like not not in a bad way mm-hmm. necessarily, but like I found it like, OK, I found it really telling. I forget things about the show all the yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, obviously. But I'm watching primeval and i'm like oh my god how did i forget zombie maggie walsh I especially know, right? when like what was it like literally last week i'm like nobody ever comes back from the dead I know. what <laughs> no it's like what are you doing? like zombie walsh zombie dr creepy mm-hmm. zombie forest mm-hmm. although he's a different whatever yeah um there's all like there's all of this bizarre and yet completely delightful to me mm-hmm. stuff going on that for whatever reason, I just did not remember yeah. about these episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I completely forgot. I completely forgot about the truly like top notch, A plus, top shelf spike oh, that man. we get <laughs> in both of these episodes. Like, where was this Spike and Adam thing all along? Like, I so would have loved them being like the, you know, like the the smart, scary bad guy and the kind of, you know, bumbling, funny bad guy right. as the mm-hmm. pair mm-hmm. for the season. Well, that Pinky would have and been the Brain, so man, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. The whole time oh I was God, like, what are you going to do Pinky today? and the Brain. <laughs> No, they really they are. They are picking in the brain. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's actually, that's a great pull. Mm-hmm. Like, that's exactly what they yeah. are. <laughs> and the thing is, is that Spike usually is the smart guy, you know? But next to Adam, they have him playing stupid. And they have him playing stupid because they need to make Adam look smart. Not because Adam is actually smart. Like, Adam right. has information. How right. smart he actually is, I think, is up for debate. But I do love this whole Yoko factor thing that Spike does, which I think is just fantastic. And um, it also shines a nice light on the inherent racism and misogyny and the whole everyone blames Yoko Ono thing, uh, which has been going on <laughs> for decades, right? With everybody blaming oh Yoko God. Ono for breaking up the Beatles. Um 
But and also, if you're ever trying to like convince somebody who won't see it that our culture is inherently racist and misogynist, just tell them about Yoko. Just talk about that. That'll do it for you. Or, right. or you right. know, for something more modern, Meghan Markle. Um, or, right. Yeah. But you know, you know, or just listen to the episode of the podcast you're wrong about, mm-hmm. um, entitled "Yoko Ono Broke Up the Beatles." Uh-huh. First of all, I mean, they are not. They are in no way affiliated with this podcast, but. Um, the folks that you're wrong about are absolutely delightful. Mm-hmm. It's the best podcast. It's way better than this one. Definitely go <laughs> <Hey>. listen to it. <laughs> Don't say that when I'm in the room with you. <laughs> Wait until I leave, at least. <laughs> you know I love you. Oh. No. No. But, I mean, but if you've enjoyed my homosexual empathy noises mm-hmm. recently, or if you haven't, um, you have Michael Hobbs to thank slash blame for that. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, just listen to the episode, the You're Wrong About episode on Yoko Ono and the Beatles. Um, and partially that's just that's my bias shining through because I love Yoko. Yoko Ono mm-hmm. is magic. And Spike kind of sort of standing up for her really made me go, well, that's it. I mean, that's my girl power moment of the week. Right. Spike, like Spike aligning himself with this maligned figure and then being like, and it wasn't really her fault. She was just there. No, <laughs> I know? love like, that. I love that he is looking at this and he is not because the knee jerk, you know, like standard cultural thing to do is be like, oh, yeah, it was Yoko's fault, you know, which is so infuriating. And it's one of the things that makes me love Spike. Even more. I already loved Spike, but I love the fact that he's like, yeah, that was all bullshit, but I will use that. <laughs> I will use that cultural momentum to my you know, benefit as I go around and yeah. you know, have all these people blaming each other for everything. Um, I thought it was really, really great. I love when Spike plays the hell out of everyone. And he's like, that was fun. You know, um, I love this theme that we have of evil seas. You know, like Spike can yeah. see all of their insecurity. Adam can see things. Um, Spike picks up on Willow and Tara immediately, as did Faith, who was at that moment, let's not forget, evil. Right. Um, right. So what I find really interesting about that is, you know, are we saying something about the things that goodness will blind us to that make us unable to see, you know, Um I find that an is interesting it, question. I don't know. I wonder, is it goodness that makes it like that, that sort of puts that scrim over mm-hmm. what we're able to see and understand? Or is it something else? Like why? Like, I love how perceptive uh-huh. Spike is. E- like, even when he's bumbling, even yeah. when he's kind of like in way over his head, mm-hmm. he's still is really good about seeing and acknowledging the truth of the situation, at least, you know, through his own Right. I think it's lens. I think it's that there's a sense of okay, I think, and I don't know, because it's off the top of my head, but that with goodness comes a sense of politeness, and politeness is by its very nature dishonest. Um and so in the pursuit of politeness we will often be dishonest and dishonest with ourselves as well. I wonder if that's it. Because Spike's honesty, Anya's honesty, comes from the fact that they are not polite. But Anya is good. Like she's, you know, right. she bats up for good now, right? You know, um, right. and and Spike is 
evil. So I think that maybe there's something uh, there's something to be said about the inherent inherently dishonest nature of politeness and politeness as being a generally accepted positive quality to those who tend to align with good. Except that I don't think I would describe any of our heroic characters on the show as polite necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I don't know. There's definitely more of a discussion to be had here. And I'm like rolling around synonyms in my brain right now. Because, yeah. Because what Anya is, is blunt. Yes. In all, like in all ways. Mm-hmm. Like she does not... She doesn't pull any punches <laughs> with her words. Right. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't know. There's I mean, that's a I feel like that's a different discussion for a different podcast. I think so. like the, the nuances of like bluntness and honesty and rudeness and politeness and goodness whatever that means right exactly right? Like, well, what does that yeah. even mean like what don't, are we even saying don't look too close to goodness weird... man because it will fall apart right in front of you yeah it's right? it's it's real real hard but i think you're right i think that uh that we have stepped into a space that is absolutely outside of my expertise zone <laughs> like but it is yeah. an interesting thing that comes up over and over again on this show yeah. and certainly mm-hmm. i think throughout I, w- I want to say through at least throughout like U.S. media, mm-hmm. the idea of the character who is, you know, air quotes evil. Right. Also being the character who sees the truth about people and situations. And is honest a lot of the time. And maybe I wonder if that is a boon to manipulation mm-hmm. that if you can see because not only not only does Spike pick up on the um Willow Terra relationship immediately, mm-hmm. he also then knows that that's going to be a place that he can, you know, right. it's he, a, that's going to be a sore spot he can pull. It's an opportunity. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting because, because yeah, because evil uses all of the information and so doesn't blind itself to stuff. So what is it that goodness blinds us to or, or makes us not see even even to the point where oh well that's none of my business you know like I'm not going to be watching Willow and Tara looking for you know something because it's none of my business or whatever whatever it is you know um, but also the role of the truth teller you know was was Cordelia right and then we got Anya mm-hmm. right and then we're going to bring what, in Spike to be the truth teller after a while what is it that Cordelia says about tact oh tact is just tact not is... saying true stuff I'll pass yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's, it's a really, really interesting question, um, which I am not even remotely prepared to answer. But now I've posed it and I've thrown it out to you guys in the audience. So you bat that around like a beach ball for a while. Let us know what comes up. Uh, but I would like to talk about how <laughs> Buffy and Riley like need to break up like now. Oh, my God. <laughs> speaking of like not speaking the truth. Oh, Jesus. my God. This I think my favorite <laughs> moment in this is when Buffy looks at Riley with these deep blue eyes, have I ever done anything to make you think that you can't trust me? I'm like, yeah, you never tell him anything. You never want to talk about anything. You keep a million <laughs> secrets. You started out lying to each other. Um, and then even when you told him the truth about Angel, you did not tell him the whole truth. So, yeah, 
Um, I think you left out an important detail. <sighs> um, and then, you know, we have Riley's petulance that Buffy was not pure enough. You know, that she had been with a vampire, you know, before he graced her with his magic penis. And that's incredibly punchable, you know, Um, because he's upset, not because he thinks that she has slept with uh, Angel in Los Angeles. Because he doesn't think that until he bumps into Angel and sees Angel beating people up. Right. He just, you know, knows that she has slept with a vampire, you know, um, prior to ever knowing him or whatever. And uh, it's just... It's just irritating. And it's irritating the way that Buffy never wants to talk about anything with him. Never. I mean, probably with good reason, because he's kind of an idiot. But um, (laughs) I just like they just they need to break up. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So I sometimes I pop a this week in men (laughs) section in my notes. Every now and then I have to do it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and this weekend, man, oh my God, it's just the eggplant emoji followed by the facepalm emoji. <laughs> like, I, like, I just, uh-huh. what? Uh-huh. I mean, I know it's a podcast, so I have to like words right. about what I'm feeling uh-huh. here. But I mean, just like hard agree with you, Lonnie, on the total lack of trustworthiness in the Buffy Riley relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Watch. I was watching this whole interaction. Like, um, yeah, you constantly give him a reason not to trust you. Give him reasons not to trust you. And this shit. And here's the thing. The thing that really, really bothers me about this is this is the kind of thing that we're told is romantic. Like, I'm flashing back to Hush and Buffy and Riley literally lying to each other, right? As they explain away patrolling slash initiativing, right? You know, later that evening, right? And I, I understand, yes, I know, mm-hmm. secret identity, blah, 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 covert government operation, yada, yada, yada. I mean, but But that is literally the how the relationship on. started. Like, regardless calm of whether the they were doing on. it, that's how they started. Like, they started yeah. not trusting each other. I mean, and it's so, it's so gaslighty to mm-hmm. be like, I'm perfectly trustworthy. Yep. Like, it is... It's such nonsense. Mm-hmm. I do not. I mm-hmm. like no. I bounce hard off of Buffy herself. Yeah, on occasion, and this is one of those occasions. Oh yeah, like she never, she never wants to talk to him. Yeah, she never. She has opportunities to tell him things every and time. Doesn't tell him and. Every time I mean, they're going to talk, she says, no, let's not. At the end of of Superstar, when they were healing from this whole, you know, faith debacle, right? Um, right. Then she just says, no, let's not talk. We don't have to talk. As though yeah, that, is that is romantic and it is not. Well, and that I feel like is such a myth mm-hmm. of the, the romantic relationship mm-hmm. that like if it's really love and you really care about each other and it's really for real this time. That your partner is somehow a mind reader. Yeah. And you don't have to communicate. Exactly. And, you know, you can just like fall into each other's arms and that's, you know, and it's magic and the whole world yeah, you know, goes away or very, whatever. Very dangerous idea. Communication is so, I mean, communication I don't is sexy. Think yeah. It's, it's, and it's fucking mandatory. Uh-huh. Like if you want to have for a any, healthy relationship. Any relationship, but especially a relationship that is that deeply intimate. Yes. Yeah. You know? And I mean, and it's tough in this particular, you know, Buffy, Riley, like are not a great relationship mm-hmm. topic. Because I mean, I have 
I do have compassion for Riley here uh-huh. regarding Buffy having, you know, Buffy having sex with Angel and that being Angel's trigger. Mm-hmm. And I mean, don't worry, Lonnie. It's just a light compassion <laughs> glaze. It's not, you know, we're not. He's not off the hook. It's all right. Trust me. Yes. Um, I don't really read Riley's response as being about Buffy's purity necessarily. Like, Riley knows Buffy has had sex with other people. Yes, but with uh, vampires. It's a punchable offense. With people that he, he approves of. Right, exactly. But they're people that he understands and approves of in the sense that they're human. Right? She's had sex with a vampire. Oh, God. And that's his problem. He's that, judging that choice. He's... Ew. Like, that somehow makes it even more cringy. Right. That it's like, it's not that he thought she hadn't had sex with anyone. Yeah. And now it's... Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, like I say, he's not off the hook. Yeah. Um, but I do see this as some, like, Liz Fair type, I saw secret positions that we never tried level jealousy. Mm-hmm. I mean, sex with Buffy is good for Riley, but it's not lost his soul good. I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> not to mention, Buffy left out this vital detail mm-hmm. that would explain so much of the intensity of her relationship with Angel like to Riley yeah. like if she had if she had included this yeah. i mean yeah that probably would have been a painful thing for both of them in this conversation in their relationship but it would have given Riley so much more mm-hmm. insight into why all of the stuff with Buffy and Angel is so fraught. Right. Um, but she chooses not to tell him, mm-hmm. probably because he, it's not safe to tell him, which is another, which is you know, another lovely red flag problem. for your relationship is exactly. maybe not great or not so great. Exactly. Uh-huh. But the, and then it ends, they end it on this fucking... Because I'm so in love with you. Oh. Like, I can't. Oh. I mean. No. And she's like, yeah, I know, same. And then it's like, oh. Because I'm so in love with you, I can't think straight. So really, it's all your fault. Oh, my God. That is not but romantic. Also, but also that, like, somehow that's okay. Like, right. I'm so, like, I'm so bent out of shape or I'm so you know, out of control or whatever. Like, I've completely lost all perspective. Right, um, right. Because I'm so in love with mm-hmm. you? Yeah. No. No. No, thank you. No. Hard pass. And do not, like, do not <laughs> get me started on Angel in this episode in, in Primeval. Like, I hate him. Oh, I my hate him. God. I love him so much in this episode. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. (laughs) I am not sure that I would disagree with any of the reasons why you hate him. But because he comes in, he's a fucking man. He's peeing all over the territory. Right. You know, Um, he could have their phones in Los Angeles. He could have called to apologize. I mean, I like that his I like that his instinct is to apologize because he should be apologizing to Buffy. Now, when I did the episodes over on the Angel podcast Still Dead, the way that Buffy was written 
in those episodes made her look really super wrong, right? But Mm -hmm. she had a point too, you know? Um, So when he comes out to apologize, I like that he wanted to apologize. Phones don't do well on television. And I always tell my, you know, my screenwriting (laughs) students not to put in phone calls because nobody wants to watch a fucking phone call. So I get it. Um, But the thing is, he comes in, you know, he interrupts everything that's going on, um, you know, with everything. Like, not just for us, narratively, although we have to spend, I don't even know, 15 minutes on this stupid two men circling each other, staring each other down over a woman bullshit, right? You know? Oh, my God. So I get that. Um, But I love that he hits Riley at a point where I really would like to hit Riley. I love (laughs) when he comes and he says, don't push me, boy. I love that, right? I love the thing where he sits with Buffy out in the hallway and she's like, what are you trying to do? He goes, I'm trying to make things better. And they both start laughing. There is a comfort there with the two of them. It's a nice moment for them. Um, And honestly, if I didn't hate Riley so much, I might be more annoyed with Angel. Um, But right now, watch and punch Riley in the face is just a goddamn satisfying. I can't help it. So um, I have to say that if loving Angel here is wrong, and I will definitely, I'm definitely very open to the argument that it is, I don't want to be right. Um, I just don't care. I just, I love Angel in this whole thing. I love when he turns around. He's like, Riley, I don't like him. And I'm like, new ringtone for me, you know? Because um, yeah. I don't like Riley there- either. <laughs> oh, there's one bit of Angel that I, that I do enjoy. Yeah. Is when he's sitting on the bed in Buffy's dorm and he's like, she's she says something like, if I see another display of testosterone poisoning, I'll put you both in the hospital. And he goes, Angel goes, he started it. I love the look when it, when Riley's being all petulant. He's like, I'm not moving. And then Buffy's like, let's go out into the hallway. And he gives Riley this smirk as he goes out. And it's stupid, possessive, Boys. masculine Boys. bullshit. And I can't help it. I just love Angel in this episode. This week in toxic masculinity. Absolutely. Okay. All of it. Toxic masculinity. Absolute- testosterone poisoning. Yes. 100%. Back it up. Still love Angel in this episode. I'm just going to have to acknowledge that some Sometimes you love things that you shouldn't love, <laughs> but I do. I love Maggie Walsh, okay? I have no moral high ground. You know what? It's, it's all right. All I'm saying is <laughs> that like anybody who thinks I'm wrong with this, I'm completely with you. It's okay. I'm just going to love it anyway. Um, so I, I do love um, the insecurity play that Spike does um, in these episodes. Um, and I love Tara and Anya hanging out in the bathroom <laughs> While everybody's fighting, like nice tiles, so great. <laughs> it's so it's sweet, so good. and I love seeing Tara it, and Anya spend some time together. And the fight, mm-hmm. the the fight itself, the way this all like breaks down yeah. at the end of the Yoko Factor, mm-hmm. again, is one of those like season four beats that feels completely like banana pants and I just love it oh my god like, it's so great but it also I'm like <laughs> I'm watching it I was watching it this time going this feels very different uh-huh. from the rest of the show yes yes and I don't know that it's necessarily supposed to feel as different as it does 
but I love it. But it's so I fun seeing all it. of them fighting. And then Xander's like, I'll be here with crusty old Alfred. And Giles is like, oh, no, you forget Alfred had a job. You know, um, I love all of that. I love when Giles stumbles up the stairs. And he's trying to take off his sweater, which also, by the way, this whole like season of identity has been sweater Giles. No job, no function, not sure where his place is. And then as he's stumbling up the stairs drunk, he's trying to take off the sweater and he can't. I kind of love that. Um, so there's a lot of stuff I think that's really, really cute and really, really fun in this whole thing. But yeah, it does feel a little bit off that they would all fall so completely for Spike hitting all of these areas of insecurity. But at the same time, we've been seeding Xander's sense of insecurity, not being part of the group, not being, you know, on campus or in college, feeling separate that way. Giles feeling like he doesn't know where he's supposed to go. Willow, of course, you know, working with her own sense of identity. First of all, when she gets to school and her identity is completely shifted, she was the nerd, you know, in high school. And now she is the woman who's got her shit together. This is her place. This is where she belongs, you know. Um, Big witch on campus. Big witch on campus. Yeah. And then she goes through this personal sexual identity process with Tara, which is beautiful, you know. Um, so there's all that stuff, and I, I can see how they've seeded this throughout the season and how it all works and comes together. But it just it feels like the bonds between all of these people are more powerful than all of that. And it feels like even so, you know, they I, I don't know if I believe the fight, but I love it. <laughs> it's yeah. just I think I love and it. I think ultimately that's what it is, is I don't really believe the fight in part because they're all so quippy like yeah. it's all so written yeah it is very it is, written mm-hmm. it's very written it feels very theatrical to me yes, too i feel like is. i'm watching a scene that could easily be on stage oh it is um, it's extremely theatrical you're right mm-hmm. i think we only i was i was just about to say it feels like it could be on stage and i think we only have a couple of camera angles. Yeah. We shoot it sort of like... Like a play. A stage play or a sitcom. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's, it does have a very that, sitcom feel. Okay. That that helps me explain to myself some of the... I really enjoy this, but it doesn't fit in the show. Right. Well, because it kind is. Kind of. And, and Buffy yeah. has its sitcom moments. I mean, we definitely... Like, you know, let me re- reference oh, yeah. once again, something blue, right? But this is supposed to be a deep emotional moment that is played as sitcom. Right. And I think that that's where we have that. This is the big emotional, you know, thing in the in the season. This is like the crux of everything that they've all been going through all season. Um, And yet we do play it off primarily as a a joke, you know. Um, Well, I mean, I mean, at least in part because we have um, to to quote uh, Robert Gifford of the now defunct local theater troupe here mm-hmm. in Seattle, Red Card Productions, the gratuitous use of special skills. Yes. Anthony mm-hmm. Stewart head playing drunk mm-hmm. is masterful. Mm-hmm. And the way he sits down, not in the chair. <laughs> falls off the chair onto the floor. He doesn't. Oh, what God. I love is that he doesn't even. I don't think he even he falls just misses off the it chair. Entirely. I think he very confidently sits down. Where there is no not chair. Not in the chair. <laughs> it's so good. And yeah. then the moment. I, I usually don't enjoy this kind of like. The gay relationship is the joke, mm-hmm. but when Willow says, you can't handle Tara being my girlfriend, <laughs> and then Xander's going off on something, and he goes, and Tara's your girlfriend? <laughs> and then we we reinforce it 
with, with Giles, Giles from upstairs. Bloody hell. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> I have, I mean, mm-hmm. I have feelings. I have feelings about the lesbian relationship being played for a joke, mm-hmm. but it feels, again, it feels like theater. It feels right. like that kind of, where we... <laughs> We have to catch everyone up on what's going on Mm -hmm. so that they can come back together as a group of four in the next episode. Yes. But, oh, my word, that whole that whole fight. And then, of course, you mentioned it already, but Anya and Tara just being like, nope. (laughs) They just just nope right out of it. Yeah, I know. I love that whole thing. It's so great. They just like this has nothing to do with us. And they just go into the thing. It's just, yeah. It almost feels like that whole scene almost feels like this, you know, gratuitous use of special skills Mm -hmm. kind of thing. It's like we know these people can pull this off. Right. So let's write it this way, whether or not it necessarily fits with the Because it's so fun, right? You know, it is so much fun. Um, And I'm with you on the the joke about the, you know, lesbian gay relationship, which again, is part of this this hurricane raindrop thing. Like in certain circumstances where everybody is surprised and this is new information coming out, you could definitely like pull that off a little bit. But because we so often play gay as the joke itself, um, it's just it's bad. Yeah. You know, it's just bad. Um, so I I yeah, I think that that's I think I love the gratuitous use of special skills. I love that idea. Um, I think that's wonderful. And it is so exactly expressive of of what is both great and wrong with that whole scene. You know, um, well, another yeah. thing that is so great and wrong about the whole scene is, of course, the the fire starter here is spike yes and the whole thing feels very spike like yes. if spike were to set a plan in motion yes. it would go pretty much like this. exactly i mean spike is the vampire who literally falls asleep outside and sets himself on fire <laughs> so i kind of love that yeah. this is like that the weird tonal shift of this fight scene that i I absolutely love it, yeah. but it feels like it has the spike fingerprint on it. Oh, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. Speaking of which, let me go ahead and explain Delight Armor a little bit. I used it early in the top in the summary um, of the the uh, episodes. Uh, that spike, spike should have died like 12 times by now, right? You know, Buffy should have killed him five times in season two alone, you know? Um, And it's not plot armor. We often refer to this as plot armor, the thing that prevents a character from dying, right? You know, it's like we can have a protagonist that's shot at by 15 guys with machine guns and he takes nothing more than a flesh wound to the the shoulder, you know? Um, So a protagonist has plot armor because we can't have the story without the protagonist. So no matter what kind of pickle they get in, they are going to survive. Um, That's not what Spike has has our story could go on without spike right spike has delight armor he is just (laughs) too much fun to kill and it's not it is something is a delight that comes into the audience but the audience has absolutely no control over who lives and who dies see above re-terra um but it's, Why do you hurt me like that i know <laughs> I, i'm preparing myself because i know it's coming um 
It's about this time every time I watch through Buffy that I start to get really, really angry about that. But we'll deal with that at the end of season six. Um, but what Spike has is delight armor, which is when a character is so much fun to write that a writer cannot let them die. <laughs> like No matter what, a writer will do anything to see them through. Right. You know, um, yep. and the more we love you know, that kind of character, like the more value they have to the narrative when they're dead, right? If you like, you know, as long as they're not a protagonist, if you kill a beloved character, that's a big moment. Every time a beloved character dies in any of the, I mean, we, the story gets a lot of attention and done right. It can have real narrative power, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So Delight Armor is about the relationship of, of the writer to the character. And Spike is just too much goddamn fun to write. They wrote him through season two and they got rid of him at the end of season two. And then they couldn't go through all of season three without a hit, man. So we had to have um, Lover's Walk, right? <laughs> <laughs> then we bring him back in season four and we give him, we de-chip him so that we have a reason not to kill him. Why? Because we love him and also because identity stories and having Spike with a chip in his head is just wonderful for a season about identity, right? I mean, and him trying to figure out, and the fact that he can you know, uh, in, like inflict violence upon demons, which puts him on the yep. side of good only because he's so addicted to violence and he loves it. That's wonderful. And that's crunchy. Um, but even when they do kill him at the end of season seven, the very last episode of season seven, when they're like, well, we don't have to write him anymore. So let's go ahead and kill him. And then they kill him. And then over on Angel, what do they do? They resurrect the motherfucker because you cannot. <laughs> A world without writing Spike is just not worth it. Um, and they earn it. They do earn it mostly over in Angel season five. They do earn bringing him back. Mostly. <laughs> mostly. Mostly. Um, and, I, oh and you God. know what? I don't blame him. Life is too short not to write Spike. That's just, you know. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, especially when, I mean, you have James Marsters mm -hmm. as Spike. Oh, yeah. Who just... I, I don't know how he does it, but he shines doing everything they give him to do. Yeah. Um, and I love that in this, you know, while he's like a fully mm -hmm. ensconced in his delight armor in these two episodes, we get some we get some of that core spike that I love yeah. so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, we get him fighting demons in slow motion with <laughs> his coat all billowy. You know, oh, he gets to be man. like action vampire. But we also get little details like. Spike loving his food yeah. and the way he comes over to Giles is he just barges in and microwaves himself a blood bag, which, first of all, ew, yeah. but I have to hand it to them. Like, that is such a great, it's such a great bit of business yeah. for Spike to be doing. And Giles has had and that then, blood bag in that refrigerator for months at this point. <laughs> I mean, that's human blood. You probably don't want to, well, whatever. Yeah. Who even knows? Um, I don't know. Is it like wine? It I stays buy... fresh in the bag. That's why I buy oh the box god. wine. Oh How's that god. little bit? Oh my god! <laughs> oh god, Lonnie! Now I'm picturing blood <laughs> packaged like boxed wine. With a I'm picturing spigot. Spike with like a oh god, yeah. with like a spigot oh, that he yeah. can just oh anyway anyway um <laughs> anyway anyway um but we get another little bit of. You know, I I call it core spike. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it is, but it feels like core spike to me. Spike with TV. Yeah. Spike. Yeah. And his relationship to TV mm -hmm. and Spike as a television viewer. Now, of course, in this case, he's watching the security cameras with Adam. Right. But he's narrating like 
he's yeah. watching a show mm-hmm. and he's enjoying it. Like he's smoking his cigarette and watching yeah. the TV screen. And I'm like, that's right. Spike has this thing about like being a viewer mm-hmm. and part of, I think that's being a part perhaps of his... watcher. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, but he's just, he's, He's so he is so delightful. And then, of course, we get some like really dark shit with him, too, where, mm-hmm. you know, Spike putting his cigarette out in Forrest's oh, eye. Yeah. That's like intense. Yeah. Just in case just in case I got too delighted and forgot that Spike was evil. <laughs> right. Like that's some. Whew. Yeah. It's like that's that's quite a choice there. That is. It's quite a choice. Mm-hmm. But he's I mean, he really is just this great. I don't know. Not a not a sponge, mm-hmm. but he doesn't soak up anything. But he, you can throw Spike into a scene, yeah. and it's instantly, it's instantly better. He just affects yeah. everything, yeah, and becomes part. Of, I don't know. So what is he? He's like the, I don't know. I don't know. I need a metaphor and I'm like grasping He's the salt. He makes all the the other flavors more intense. Like he just, he comes in and he just makes everything better. Um, And that's Buffy MSG. He's Buffy MSG. He absolutely is. Um, And, and that's the thing. Like I get why he has delight armor and I have absolutely no problem with it at all. I think that like a a character this delightful to write does not come around all the time. Um, You know, it is a very, very particular, like, mix of of magic especially being played also by James Marsters which is a big part of Spike's delight armor is that when you have an actor like that who can do these things you know when Spike was written in the beginning he was definitely written in a very interesting way but what James Marsters brought to it also allowed them to like make this so this this magical combination of elements of the writing and the acting bringing this character to life uh, yeah I would I would put delight armor all over he will live for ever you can't have a world in which people are not allowed to write spike like you just can't have it and, and now they're doing it in the comics and i think it's wonderful um all right I mean, so noel this week what are you wearing okay so tara is wearing lipstick mm-hmm. which i mean tara wear tara wears lipstick yeah. but i love her mm-hmm. looking a little bit more grown up and sophisticated yeah. as she's helping willow mm-hmm. with her uh course selections for the next year yeah. I don't know if that's what I don't know if that's what they were going for, but I like it. It's very I really, nice. really like mm-hmm. it. Um, we can't not talk about Riley's clown pants. Can we? I mean, can maybe we, not? we cannot talk can about we them. Can we not? <laughs> I actually really like those pants, okay. and I think he looks good in them. <laughs> I don't know. Like my kid's dad used to wear stuff like that all the time. Like he loved. Oh God! Of those course, pants. He did. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Sweetest man in the world. But would wear stuff like that all the time. And you know, it was cute. It was cute. But after a while, I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like I, we can't do this anymore. We can't. Yeah. Yeah, and I love I love him being sort of insecure about it too. Yeah. That it's again identity, yes. right? He's like, Oh, I probably would have attracted less attention in my military garb. Uh-huh. He's feeling out of there's see because there you go again with like the missed opportunity at the mm-hmm. identity story. We kinda did it with Riley, but then we sort of pulled it back yeah. and then we sort of did it again and then we pulled it mm-hmm. back and I don't know. I, I maintain that it was like I, 
I don't know who is in charge <laughs> in the writer's room. Like, I really don't. Yeah. Because it feels it feels very all over the place. I think I it mean, was Whedon. I think Whedon dropped the ball on it. He was running the show <laughs> this this season. He was running the show. So, well, you know, I. Yeah. You know, I love to blame Joss Whedon for oh, yeah. really any problem that well, I might have. I mean, regardless, so. like he was the showrunner on the show during this season. So if he was just asleep at the wheel and didn't pay attention and let everybody just do whatever and, and all these writers pull in these different directions, uh, that could have been what happened. But that would still be his fault because it's it's, you know, negligence, I guess. <laughs> Narrative negligence. Narrative That's negligence. One citation yes. from story expert that Lonnie Diamond. That is my official <laughs> my official charge. We will have him tried in the storytelling judiciary, you know, someday. Uh, yeah. Oh God. Oh, <laughs> uh, but I I mean, I don't know. Riley's clown pants. I'm yeah. kind of here for them. Okay. I sort of like I like him looking ridiculous while he's feeling ridiculous. Yes. It, mm-hmm. it works for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, of course, the business with Giles' sweater mm-hmm. we talked about already, that this is where he loses the sweater. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and of course, it lands on Xander, oh, yeah. which is great. Yeah, exactly. It's such a great... that, And that, again, is another one of those things that I'm like, this shouldn't delight me so much. But, but it, it does. really does. Yes. Just mm-hmm. the... You know, especially after Xander has has talked about being the clothing delivery guy right. and, you know, poor me. Like, I, can I get you some new fighting pants? You need some new pants? <laughs> Delightful. 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 And I will, you know, and hey, I'll take some fighting pants. Mm-hmm. I don't know how she does everything she does in those pleather pants. I don't even they're know. Clearly, they are the clearly made for ass kicking. Right. <laughs> Um, what else have I got for for clothing? I mean, so Giles, of course, transitions from sweaters mm-hmm. to the robe. Yeah, because Aww. he's hung over Hugh Hefner. Giles, That's what is right. happening? <laughs> what is happening? I'm like, okay, all right. So we Look, just need like a little robe, bit of my head cannon. Is that robe was a gift from Olivia? You know it was. Olivia liked like, that robe. You absolutely know it was. Yeah. I'm like, what is this, like a crushed velvet? What is he wearing? That's it's what so she good. wants to snuggle up on. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, And in that same scene, mm-hmm. Tara is wearing a top that I'm pretty sure we've seen on Willow. Uh-huh. So I think we're maybe at the, or maybe it's just a style that Willow would wear, yeah. but we're, we're, we may be at the clothing swapping clothing swap stage. part of the relationship, which is great. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's one of my favorite things about being in a femme for femme relationship. You get to double your wardrobe, <laughs> assuming you're kind of similar sizes. Right. That's, a, mm-hmm. that's always fun. But, um, and then Willow is wearing this baseball tee that has a big pink cat face on mm-hmm. it. And I'm, this is me not making a lesbian joke. <laughs> oh, this must be killing you. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do so it. I'm so proud I, of you. I, I think that that's, that's really good. But we all know what it is. And I'll tell you, it was funny. All right. So girl power moment of the week. What do you got for girl power moment of the week? Oh, not with a girl power bit. I really, like I say, I really want to give it to Spike. Yeah. For for I really want to give it to Spike for siding with Yoko Ono, and I feel like that's kind of a little bit a little bit random, yeah. maybe. Um, but I think I think uh, my actual girl power moment of the week might be when Buffy says, "I'm the Slayer. You're playing on my turf." Yeah. 
And then just to punctuate it, we cut away to Willow mm-hmm. with this look on her face like, yeah, that's my that's best right. friend. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. You kind of want to jump in over Buffy and be like, that's right, bitches. You know. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I think, honestly, for me, there was this one beautiful moment where Spike was, was activating Willow's insecurities, right? And mm-hmm. Tara just very gently says... Well, you need to talk to Buffy because I'm sure. And then Spike interrupts, right? Yeah. Um, but I think I love that. I love Tara's quiet ability to be unaffected by the insanity around her all the time that she can see clearly, you know. And Tara is actually, I think, a pretty good example of goodness seeing clearly, right? Because she was the one who was able to see that Buffy was not Faith or that Faith was not Buffy, mm-hmm. right? Um, so mm-hmm. our, our our evil sees theory has some has some pushback in Tara. Um, but I mean, I love her, you know, saying to Willow, Miss Kitty Fantastico can be ours if you want, you know, yeah. constantly checking for consent in every possible venue. I absolutely love that. Um, so there's there's a whole bunch of Tara, I think, that generally my girl power moment of the week is probably usually going to be Tara related if Tara is in the episode, because her strength is so wholly, despite her magical elements, it is so wholly human and so wholly yeah, well- good. You know, absolutely. And Tara doing exactly the kind of magic that she needs to do in the moment when the fight is going on Mm -hmm. and walking the hell away from an argument. Yeah. That is going to be upsetting and like, not judging that, it just, in the bathroom she's not yeah. like i don't know why the hell these people have to fight blah 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 i hate it when they fight yeah. she's not complaining at all she's just like so how long do you think it's gonna be you know yeah. um god i love her she's so fantastic every time i watch through buffy i love tara more you know like there's just yeah. more of her that that shows up that is so wonderful and i aspire someday to be as good a human as tara i will never reach it but i do believe in highly aspirational goals um <laughs> all right so my moment of riley uh for yeah, this it's week Lonnie's moment of riley right this is the section where i have to pick out something that i like about riley um because i'm always complaining about riley can it be when angel says don't push me boy no. Hmm. All right, fine. Um, when he blows up Frankenforest with the flammable container that he just, I guess, shakes around enough so that oh, all my, he has okay. to do is hold it and then it explodes. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I have to stop like right there. Yeah. I have to stop right in the mi- in the middle of the moment of Riley. Yes. Because that is a moment of Looney Tunes. Right? Like what the hell what is was that? going on with the end of this episode? That we have Frankenforest literally looking up to realize he's holding the tube that says flammable, and then it's like the wide-eyed, oh shit, kaboom, wily coyote moment. Right. What the but fuck? did it get hit by a stray spark? Was it just shaking it up that made it flammable? And also, here's the thing would it have exploded if he hadn't looked up and seen the word flammable? Because this is the whole wily coyote is... jumps off the side of the cliff, but he doesn't yes. start falling until he looks yeah. down, right? Um, I don't I don't even I don't I have no answers for it's you because it's I don't know it I swear to God backwards pants day uh, in the right. writer's room because on the one hand we have Buffy you know combo Buffy literally turning bullets into doves yeah. in this like beautiful symbolic yeah magical gesture and then we have this like 
Looney Tunes explosion yeah. with the flammable canister. And then we're in the X-Files because we've got a room of dudes in suits sitting yeah. around talking about government yeah. conspiracies. Shady and like, government nonsense. Yep. What yeah. is this? What is this? No, and why is. do I love it so much? <laughs> you know what? It's, ain't nothing wrong with loving it. You can love whatever <sighs> you want. So, um, oh, I know I my mean, favorite Riley. Cowboy Riley. Yes. That's next week. That's next week. All right, fine. Yeah, fine. That's next week. Fine. He got here early. He did get here early. <laughs> you got here early, so your moment of Riley gets to be cowboy guy. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah. Noel, what's your favorite part? Okay, it's Riley full-on black swanning it up, mm -hmm. pulling the chip out of his glorious pectoral muscle. <laughs> I mean, it's so good. It's so, but But again... You know, uh -huh. story value. This is story value, story catnip. Uh -huh. um, give me someone enduring excruciating pain and reaching into their own body to free themselves from whatever, and I'm yours. <laughs> like, I'm just like, it's yeah. so bizarre, but so great. Uh -huh. And I just, I I don't know. I, I have a body horror thing, and I like No, it. I think that that's great. I have the exact opposite of whatever. Like, that's, <laughs> I hate that stuff more than anything that is never, ever going to be my favorite part. But I'm glad it's yours. I think... It's really interesting because I've never met anybody who who like really loves that stuff so much. And it's so interesting to hear your perspectives on that to kind of be able to see into a place I haven't been able to even look aside from like through my fingers up until now. So I think it's <laughs> I love it when you talk about that stuff. I think it's so, so interesting. And, and the reasons why you love it are still obscure to me. Like I don't quite understand <laughs> it, but I'm learning and it's so interesting. I absolutely love it. Well, there's something very wrong with me. That is not but... true. <laughs> that is. Not but true. also, also, it's a deep like it's always going to be deeply symbolic mm -hmm. and meaningful when someone is interacting with their own yeah. body. Mm -hmm. um, and Riley's like Riley's heart space as the location of his chip mm -hmm. feels meaningful even if it's in a last minute you know mother kept her secrets well kind of way which is really writer code for we decided this at the last minute oh yeah i mean it feels that way to me I don't oh know. god speaking I don't of heart space there's something i forgot to bring up but which i was having thought i just forgot to put it in the notes but okay so we have this super royal wee buffy right you know we've got willow's yeah. witchy and we've got you know buffy's like physical power and we've got giles knowledge why do we need xander to be part of that we give him the card that's for the heart right you know yeah like and what part of this discussion were they like well we really need somebody with a sensitive heart connection in order to defeat adam because he he is, I mean, it's a little bit, it feels a little bit unearned. Uh -huh. um, but also right before that, you know, when they have their their reconciliation in the elevator shaft, which I love, um, he is, you know, they, they love him. Like yeah. he's there because they love him. Right. But he doesn't need to be when they're when they're making up the plan. And this is where, you know, they're making up the plan. And Xander is like, oh, well, we just need Giles Sumerian and Buffy's strength right. and Willow's witchy powers all yeah. in one. Right. He came up with the idea, but he doesn't need to actually like at no point are they like, yes. And Xander, we need your 
hair i don't know like i you like yeah. what is it about xander that he needs to be part of the royal we i mean i think that he does but they didn't give it a reason and i wish that they had had a reason why xander needs to be the glue that holds all of them together and if they were like well you know for this and, and it's possible they could have had this and it got cut for time because that happens a lot you know mm-hmm. but like the reason why xander needs to be there the role that xander plays within their group you know um, we need somebody to deliver the fighting pants like you know what is it yeah what is it about what xander does that is essential to this group because i think that that's the hardest argument to make you know but i think it would be one of the more interesting arguments to make that he you know that he is the heart that he pulls them all together that he keeps them emotionally anchored um and if they had just one moment of saying why xander needs to be there i think that would have been more effective for me because i really wanted to see that i wanted to see that yeah well, and I mean, and delivering fighting pants is a very nurturing. It's nurturing thing to support. do. Like we yeah. need somebody. Like we need people yeah. to deliver us fighting pants. We need people to like care about our, you know, our slaying to take care. Lower half you need comfort. support people. Like, we, like you need support people, and I think that he, and I think yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that that has been Xander's role mm-hmm. for a while yeah. now. The He's always he's always game. Yeah. Like whatever they're gonna do, even even as they're breaking back into the initiative and he's like, Well, this is never gonna work. You know? Right. He's well, like, see, We're all gonna die. Like um, the core of the word courage is heart. You know, yes. I mean, that's the, the yes. Latin root of that is, is the word for yep. heart. And I think that his heart, his um, his, you know, ability to see things through to the end, no matter what, like he is in the fight always, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think that that because he loves them. because he loves he, them. Right. He loves them. So I just and I wanted that him. to be needed. I wanted that to be part of the spell that they needed that they wouldn't have been able to do without him. And we don't really make that argument. Yeah. But anyway, that's that's. From that, I just forgot to put that note in earlier, and I wanted to bring it up. Um, they don't. My favorite. But also, yeah. it is about the core. I mean, yeah. season four yeah. is about this core four yeah. and yeah. coming back together as a group of four, mm-hmm. and they have their, you know, four way reconciliation in the quad. Yeah. It's like really not subtle, no. guys. But yeah, you know, it's funny that didn't even. I didn't. Even, <laughs> I'm usually the one to be like, "Why is Xander even here?" But yeah, I didn't have that. <laughs> I was like, well, yes, of course Xander is there. Right. But they just didn't make a textual argument for it. And I kind of wish that they had. I kind of wish that they had given him a, a sense of his role being important because I think that it is, you know? Yeah. Um, so I kind of yeah. wish that we'd had that. Um, all right. So my favorite part, I think, is don't push me, boy. Um, <laughs> of course although, it is. Good although Lord. second choice <laughs> is Giles drunkenly giggling during the fight. <laughs> Um, and wandering upstairs and trying to take off his sweater and not being able to. It's just freaking adorable, and I love it. All right, if you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join in, come find us on social media. I am at Lonnie Dine Rich on Twitter, and Noelle is at Noelle Aloud on Instagram, and the hashtag is still pretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chip Hirsch Media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now, so thank you to our February producers, Sarah, Shelley, Kristen, Alice, Noelle, Erica, Abigail, and Jonathan. And this week's special message for our power producers, 
You never train with me anymore. He's going to kick your ass. <laughs> to find out how you two can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or be all billowy coat king of pain. We will be back next time with Restless, the 22nd episode of season four. Until then, they look down on you. They hate you. But they don't look down on me. Mm-hmm.